The Dr. Bo Show. Performance, sport, health, adventure. The goal isn't necessarily to live to 100. It's to be able to go 100 miles per hour while you truly live. Episode 21 of the Dr. Bo Show. Joining me today is Dr. Mary Ann Mac. She is a chiropractor, a yogi, a mom, uh, an assistant professor in the clinical sciences department at Parker University in Dallas, uh, where she teaches two courses in clinical nutrition and functional assessment. Uh, if it's not enough, she's got a passion project known as Mama Knows Movement. Uh, that's her Instagram handle as well, where you can find her, where she's uh, delivering uh, awesome advice to moms, would-be moms, or anybody that's interested in how to go about uh, pre-partum, partum, and postpartum uh, care uh, for women to uh, make their whole experience better. So we dive into a lot of topics on the show, including uh, things like uh, Webster technique, fourth trimester care, of course, uh, exercise during pregnancy, common myths and misconceptions surrounding pregnancy and postpartum care, uh, body issues and women, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. So it's a great show. I know you're going to enjoy uh, listening to all the great uh, information that Marianne has. And here we go. just heard your fancy intro with all of your qualifications and everything you've ever done in your entire life. Um, but 10 minutes long, I bet. Well, <laughs> or like 30 it's seconds. A, more it so. a, it's a separate episode. This is part two. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, but I know you've had some big changes, Barry to have another big change. Uh, how's the new house? New house is awesome. Looks beautiful it is. from what I can see. Yeah. We got new carpet, which makes it feel like it's like this brand new build, which is really cool. And the light in here is like a 20,000% improvement from our last house, which is just like, I don't even need the lights on. Like I refuse to turn lights on because I'm just soaking it in. It changed the game. I know the, our house before this one, Sloan would come home and be like, doesn't it just feel like you're like closed in? Like, and for mm-hmm. her, she like gets really like affected by that. I think she was just yeah. like, uh, oh, you feel like you're in a cave. So I get you on that for that, sure. Our living room in our old place felt like a cave. Yeah. And it was like the best place for us to hang. So it was like, you just can't, there you was can't no other it. place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other big change is uh, DMAC part four, right? Yes. Yes. D2, the little mighty duck is coming probably next week. And that's Chloe. Chloe. Yeah. All right. Good memory. Well, I had your other half, uh, Mac on not too long ago and he said Chloe and I was like, Oh, I got to remember that. So, um, cause I hadn't heard what you guys had decided name wise until I was talking to Cody. So I didn't know what it was. Yep. Girl gang plus, plus Cody. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of estrogen in there, but Cody, Cody offsets that pretty well. There's enough like barbarian testosterone (laughs) to like handle all that. The silverback gorilla will carry us well. <laughs> well, uh, besides uh, new home, second kid, uh, how long have you guys been in Texas now? Oh, man. It was two years in May, so two and a half years. Okay. And what are your thoughts on Texas overall since you've been there? Really good. 
Um, to be honest, uh, so I was listening to you guys' parenting show and it, mm-hmm. the first year of us being in Texas was our first year as brand new parents. And it just kind of feels a little bit like a blur. Like we haven't done, like we just haven't had like the life we were used to here at anyways, like going and out. add COVID into that and it's. Yeah, yeah oh my gosh. And... So the, yeah, first year was us being brand new parents. Mm-hmm. The second year is us staying at our house for the most of the year. So in the, in the cave. Yeah. In the cave. <laughs> so, I mean, Texas is great. Our, the reason why we moved here was to be closer and more accessible to both of our families. And then also cost of living, like purchasing a home, which mm-hmm. we did. And so it was like a huge, like it's been really good to us. So we're really grateful for the choice we made and we're super happy with where we ended up. And did you guys, I never, I've never actually asked you this. So why not ask you on the podcast? Did you guys move there specifically because you had opportunities at Parker? Or did you just mm-hmm. kind of decide you were going to move from California and then landed on that and said, Hey, this is a, let's see if we can make this happen. Yeah. Our, the choice, um, the order was, this was even before we were expecting Madeline, our first, mm-hmm. um, we decided to move from California closer to family. So essentially like central time zone was what we kind of were thinking. And then, you know, you go from, I know you and you and Sloan have the same thing. Like you have your life built around your business mm-hmm. and to uproot that would be really li- like literally just uprooting in general. And to imagine, like, we didn't have like a set place we wanted to go to like, Hey, we want to move to wherever. And then you just start doing your market research and deciding where to open. Right. Like if you're just going to move another or start a new practice, well, we didn't really have like the place the destination decided. So we thought, okay, starting a new practice makes no sense, especially if we're about to start a family and we don't know that we want to be someplace permanently. So our alternative was something we've been thinking about for the longest time, which is getting into education. And we had always planned on being like adjunct faculty or something, or just having teaching be a part of our careers, both of us. And so we decided to look into opportunities within the chiropractic schools and see if anything fit. So we were looking at Minneapolis. We were looking at St. Louis. We were looking, I'm not sure about Kansas City, but um, we, were, we were looking at, there's like five schools in the Midwest. So we are yeah. in central time zone at least. So we were looking at all those opportunities and Parker had the best fit for Cody, who we decided to move by this time when we were in this process, I was already pregnant. So, and I really just didn't feel great moving and starting a new job and then being like, peace, I'm going to take four months off. So we moved for Cody's position and we just, I don't know, like hoped and prayed that I'd end up with one too. And as soon as I was ready after having Madeline, I uh, got connected with the HR department and they're like, oh, you should, you should get connected to the, um, department chair of this department they're hiring. And it was like a two week process from there. Nice. And then what all are you teaching? I know assistant professor of clinical science or in the clinical sciences Mm -hmm. department. So you're teaching kind of on two sides, right. In nutrition and functional assessment, but then also in the chiropractic sciences department, right? No, that's Cody. So I'm all clinical sciences. Yeah. So my two classes, are clinical nutrition and functional assessment. And it's, it's actually perfect because, and, um, I just had this discussion with a student earlier today, 
but the mass like masters they matter and they don't matter you know mm. and i know that you've had that yeah. thought as well but it it's kind of fitting because my two classes i teach co coincide with my two masters oh yeah. And yeah so i have a masters in nutrition and i have a masters in rehab and sports science which it, so it, it kind of like is a perfect fit for me because it's two of my passion areas and two areas I'm qualified to at least help people <laughs> in. I'm not an expert by any way, shape or means, but I'm I'm someone who can help guide people through through these topics. And it's I mean, we'll talk about this more, but like how you practiced in California and how you would still practice if working with somebody today, it's all integrative. So it's like it's not. Well, I do this for that and I go put on this hat. So it's, I mean, I'm sure you cross a lot of that stuff. And then I know even in your coursework, I'm sure it has a bit of a, you know, patient centered approach rather than a technique modality thought process approach. So yeah, yeah. there's a flair. Yeah. I think it's frustrating more than anything for students because my answer, like in try four, which is nutrition, it always comes down to, it depends and mm -hmm. they hate it. They hate it because they need structure but it's freedom that you have to kind of earn. It gets, it's such a bizarre kind of conundrum of you need to understand the basics enough to be able to be free enough to say it depends. Mm -hmm. And they're not at that point yet when I first see them in try four. So I kind of have to like give them enough structure, but yet make sure that they see the big picture of where they're headed, which is more open to the N equals one mentality. Well, yeah. And that, I don't know if I've ever thought about it from that point. I always talk about Dr. Winchester when I would intern there that like people would be like, what, what do you think's going on with me? He'd be like, I don't know. And literally just keep talking. And they'd be like, they may ask again, but he'd just go past it. Like if I would have tried that, like year one, year two, people were like, what do you know? Like what's going on with me? Tell me, you know, what's my diagnosis. But that's kind of like saying it depends. You're just literally saying, don't know. But what I've realized is what you just said. Like the only way you can do that is you don't know because of like these five things, but those yeah. are the five options on the table. And yeah, there may be unknown variables sometimes, but like, you know, all those you're playing with all of them. That's really, really hard to explain to patients though. That's, we talk about that all the time that like <laughs> our new doctor or he's not officially new, uh, Dr. O'Quinn the other day goes, it's really hard telling the patients the truth, which sounds crazy to say, but he goes, if you're really trying to tell them what's going on, he goes, it takes so much longer. And they just want to be yeah. like, what? And I go, that's kind of a funny conundrum to be in, but yeah. It is. And it's, it's also like the, cause the patient wants an answer Yeah. and you want to be the source of the answer because you want to make sure that you are relaying to them that you know what you're mm -hmm. doing. Cause there's that it's, it's almost like an ego and confidence thing. Like, um, like you almost have to have so much in the hopper that you know and understand that you get to kind of like explore this region of gray um, but I'm living in the area where we're developing the hopper. So it's, mm. it's hard to not get siloed into if you have angular colitis on your lips, it's a B2 deficiency. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, most of the vitamin deficiencies now as in practice, you just put them all in a bucket mm -hmm. and you do testing to yeah. find out which one you're dealing with. You know, it's not that straightforward, classic presentation that boards, and school, you know, tests on, that's mm -hmm. just not patient care. Um, but it, it's like, you have to prove that you are able to retain and understand information enough to check off those boxes. And then you get the freedom to play. And so mm -hmm. I kind of like, 
I'm pulling the carrot in front of the students this whole time. Like, hey guys, here's the structure, but here's the carrot. This is the fun. This is the art of what we do. And it's, it's playing. I always come back to playing jazz. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like a jam sesh, like practice is a jam sesh and you show up because you understand the tenets of music. And so do the other six people in the room or on the stage or whatever, like Mm -hmm. everybody understands music, but then you go, okay, we're playing an A and this count. And then it's go time and you just get a party. Well, uh, Cody, your husband, for people that didn't don't know that and realized that he or didn't know he was on the podcast, I'm pulling up the episode number that he was on. I think it was 17. I'm just double checking for anybody that wants to listen. We talked about this a little bit that what I tend to see because we've ha- we have a lot of undergrad interns. Obviously, that's a different bucket mm-hmm. of people. But then we have a lot of externs now. Um, and that was episode 18 with your husband, Cody. Uh, what I tend to see is that students that I'm getting obviously are very rehab driven, very like R2P esque. Uh, but it, some of that, like B2 angular chelitis, uh, the stuff that seems not pertinent, but in the, the real realm of like being a physician is extremely important. And that's what I've tried to relate to our kind of doctors in here is like, I didn't build rapport with the medical community through my results. You think you would, you think like, this is the, like, mm-hmm. you have an orthopedic surgeon or like, this is the guy you go to. It's actually catching stuff that shouldn't be in my office getting it out immediately, knowing who to send it to. And then they're like, well, how did he even, like, I can't believe that this guy caught that. Or he saw this on the x-ray when it was already read by radiologists. Like that kind of stuff is kind of cool. And you're like, oh, that's because I knew all that, what seems rote memorization, general principle science-based stuff. But I see a lot of kids kind of like, maybe they knew it for boards, but I don't even know if they realize how important it is. And they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to skip right ahead. I'm going to not even like look for that stuff. And I'm going to go. And it's like, you may be missing the boat, right. Mm -hmm. On like, not necessarily what you're treating, but on like how to treat that person the best. Right. It's not always just, Oh, you have back pain, but what about these other things? So I I think what you're doing is vitally important. And then like, same thing with working on a patient. How do you actually get a student to understand how important that is just like how important it is to do your, you know, corrective exercise at home. That's tough. It's, it is a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, outside of Parker, uh, you've been doing this for a while now. So I have a question about your passion project, which is mama knows movement. That's your Instagram handle, right? Yep. Yep. So first question is, is it, I mean, there's multiple plays. So for people that don't know, I call Marianne Ma. Some people call her Mo. I mean, it's multiple things, but so it could have been Ma knows movement, which still would have been mom. Like there's all these plays. So yeah, I just think that's funny. Of, I love that stuff too. So some of it's intentional and some of it's not, but <laughs> keep going, keep going. Yeah. Um, my real question was, did you know that you wanted to get into, you know, the uh, partum, prepartum, postpartum, kind of realm before you even had or were pregnant with Madeline? Was that something that you knew you wanted to get involved with? So it's funny because it's kind of, it's been something I've been involved with, but it wasn't at the forefront of our practice. And so it's kind of, it didn't seem like it was something that I did, but it, I was, I was doing, um, pregnancy care and postpartum care so often 
that it was something I've always been passionate about. I did the Webster training in Cairo school, which was extremely valuable to use as a tool or a guideline. Um, but yeah, so it's been something that's been a part of my practice, just not as and it, it wasn't highlighted. Is like it wasn't highlighted and it almost, and, and maybe this is a bad or a good thing. I'm not sure, but the part of it was like, you almost needed your ticket to speak on it. Like to be, to not be a mom and to be in that space is very, it's very odd as a woman. And I'm sure it's even like even crazier as a male practitioner because it's, it's so weird because it's almost like you have to have the empathy of going through it, even though that empathy never changed for me. Right. That's a really good point. It's always been there, but it it's like almost like I needed to earn my seat at the table, which is such BS, you know? So for any practitioner out there who wants to work with pregnant and postpartum mamas who doesn't want to have kids themselves, do not even think for two seconds that that is for any reason, not okay. But it was a limiting belief for me, I think. And that was hidden in my question. I mean, that was kind of the assumption, but if you think about anything, I mean, if you wanted to specialize in stroke rehab, there's not going to be many practitioners that have had a stroke. Like, you yeah. know, we, we shouldn't put that. And I think we only do because it is such a normal human thing to have a child, but then, yeah. you know, not even playing the sexism game. Like what's it matter? Like if you're good at what you do, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I see that all the time. And actually Dr. O'Quinn is our kind of pregnancy guy because his wife was pregnant while he was in Cairo school. So oh, he did the same thing, did Webster wanted to know how to treat her. And out of that, he's like, Hey, you can throw me anybody you got. Like, you know, I know how to handle it. So. Yeah. Um, he did the deep dive. Yep. The, and, and I think everybody's story is different. Like you have to just find that reason why you love it or that reason why you care. And it just, it like, you know, as an athlete and then working with athletes, it's just such a natural progression to understand because you get, you get the drive, like you get the motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly, I really, the only thing that being becoming a mom myself did to this part of my professional perspective was light the fire even more. Like Mm -hmm. it had always been there. I've always been a huge like advocate for moms moving and like, we're not delicate flowers. It's time. Like this is the most physically intensive thing a woman will do if she chooses to have kids. Mm -hmm. And it just seeing it firsthand, just lit the fire even more. I'm not sure it added anything new that wasn't there before. Gotcha. Well, here's a question. And I mean, it may be one of those things that you're like, I don't know if that's, you know, I should be answering that, but why, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's my perception, but it seems like there's a lot more focus on like the postpartum and what's been coined like, you know, fourth trimester care that seems to have a much bigger focus, which I think it should have always had a focus. Mm -hmm. So I have opinions on why I wanted to hear from you because you're obviously more involved in this from personal experience and what your, uh, you know, passion project is like, do you, is that true? First of all, that Mm -hmm. there is a more of a focus on it. And then why do you think that's the case? Oh, I think it's, you know what? Multiple Yes, it's, it's definitely way more in the spotlight than it was even when we were in school. So like that, that's 10 years ago now. And we didn't talk about postpartum care period. Like even in our training, we didn't get it. I didn't even get it when I went through some of the prenatal things. Like it just wasn't a part of the discussion. 
So I think that from the avenue of rehab, it's becoming more of a focal point because of the things we're talking in rehab. Like we also, 10 years ago, I mean, DNS was prevalent and, and definitely there, but we haven't been talking about IAP for that long, like mm-hmm. broader the, right. in the DNS com- community. They've been talking about it since it yeah. you know, started, but it's becoming more prevalent throughout practitioners where we're talking about the abdomen. We're talking about the core. How does it facilitate, you know, and like kind of debunking old myths and coming up with new myths and all the things. So I think it's that area of the body, like regionally and functionally has become more prevalent in our discussions. And then I think also it's part of the social media movements. Like we also 10 years ago, didn't have these Instagram influencers who were, you know, they've got a couple hundred thousand followers who have made something their shtick. Mm -hmm. And you know, it, it, it varies. And I follow some myself and I just watch it as a, as a person who had a small business and as someone who has that kind of like entrepreneurial drive to create, like I'm a creator, I see these projects that people are doing and I don't know them at all. I'm like fangirl status, but I see these projects and I watch them evolve and I'm like, Oh, this is what, this is how this is evolving. And now it's a product that they're selling. So they get you into their funnel and now they're selling the course. And I think it's part of that bigger social media movement where there's certain areas of focus that people are gravitating towards. And that makes sense. And I think that's every, like you said, I think you even Mm -hmm. mentioned like it's everything, like everything is brought more to our attention. And that's a common theme nowadays is like, are certain things more prevalent or worse or whatever, or are we just more aware? And that's a hard question to answer, you know, but I would, I would have to say, I'll chime in my opinion for whatever that's worth on this is that I don't think that, I think it's like back surgery, even to this day, I don't know what the true stat is from my practice. I would say 90% of people that even have a lumbar fusion or something like that are pretty much kind of set. Like you don't need rehab. I don't know what the assumption is there. You know, I could guess, but And then I've seen, you know, postpartum care of, oh, it's a normal human thing to have a baby. Obviously it should be a normal human thing to get back to normal. Well, guess what? Humans aren't quite normal compared to 40, 50 years ago, right? We're different things. And I think that's part of the prevalence of like realizing like, hey, we're having to do stuff for kids to get them to move different when, you know, mom has a kid that it's maybe going to be different. And, you know, obviously that's, there's a lot of individual bias there, but um, I mean, I don't think Sloan would mind. My wife was extremely fit um, before pregnancy and still had a lot of the, you know, normal issues postpartum that she didn't even think she was going to have, right? Like the feelings of her abdomen tearing like a diastasis, just like hanging from a pull-up bar or the inability to jog, like I think two months after, because it just felt like it wasn't going to happen from a control standpoint. Like yeah, everything these things, yeah, like you apart. just, yeah. So I think it's, it needs its, uh, you know, it needs its platform for sure. I just kind of wanted to pick your brain on like, you know, why, but you mentioned having social media be one of the reasons that it is getting put in the limelight more that that's going to breed the more myths, more misconceptions. There is good stuff out there. So just for anybody listening, you know, that, you know, has a kid is going to have a kid, uh, whatever, what, if you had to pick one or two or three, 
what would be very simple myths or misconceptions about kind of like, it can be during pregnancy, post-pregnancy, whatever, of things that women are told or whatever about more of like taking care of your body. Like, let's keep it in that realm. Um, yes, 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 yes. All of the things. Okay. Top three, I'd say the first one, and this is where the passion project mama knows movement was born. All puns always intended the, the myth that pregnant women need to be, um, treated delicately from a physical perspective. Um, that myth includes exercise. It includes daily activities. It includes, oh, should you be lifting that? Shouldn't you be sitting down with your feet up? Which from a swelling perspective, because of fluid dynamics, yes, the feet need to go up every once in a while to help, you know, get things flowing. But if you're truly hydrated, should you have those problems? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's lots of different ways we can go on this. Um, but that's probably the biggest one. And that's probably the one that I, I focus on the most is I like to be an example and I'm not perfect. And this pregnancy has been a whole different ball game than my last one for so many reasons. But the, the goal for me is to empower moms who don't have a medical reason to hold back. And it doesn't mean that we're PRing in the lifts or we're running half marathons. Doesn't that also doesn't mean you can't do that, but it's just keeping people physically active and preparing for what is coming up in their lives versus becoming more sedentary during a pregnancy, which could lead to a lot of the issues um, later on. That's probably the myth number one. Mm -hmm. Second myth is don't do a thing for six weeks. You're saying after? After postpartum is don't do a thing for six weeks. Um, There's, oh man, I, I could pick them all out, but one of the biggest areas of concern for me uh, when I work with pregnant mamas or postpartum moms is that first phase. Um, mm-hmm. So I have like the four P's of postpartum and the first phase is the protect phase. And that time really is a protection phase. Like we shouldn't be, this is not the time to go running and go crazy. And a personal story that I'm sure that Sloan could relate to given what you just had shared. I decided I was going a little nuts. My husband was working. I was home with a newborn in a new city. I didn't have anyone. There was nobody coming to visit me. Even pre this is pre COVID. I didn't have anyone coming over to check on me and to help me. Like I was just alone and my parents are are phenomenal. They came down for as long as they could, but they're both working. And so it was, I was alone and I needed something. So I found a volleyball, a volleyball league to join. And this is, I think to the day, five weeks post. And so I decided to go play volleyball and my first like lunge to the side for a ball, like I was feeling pretty good. And I had done like a lot of the preparation and things, but my first lunge for the ball gave me a feeling in my pubic symphysis, which is where your pelvis comes together in the front that I had never experienced in my life. And it was like, oh, this is, this is a different body. And it was, it was my moment of realization that even you can feel as normal as 
possible, but you're just not. And that was a, it was an aha moment for me. Not that, and I wasn't pushing it too hard. I was, I was taking it pretty easy and I didn't go in with crazy expectations either. But on the other side of that, the, the general medical consensus, and even, and I don't want to blame medicine because medicine is doing what they're supposed to do. They're managing the, they're managing the delivery. This isn't, there's OBs really, is it their job to do like what we do, like kind of the active rehabilitation? Now, is there a total miss on the recommending of postpartum PT or postpartum care? Absolutely. And that's, that's probably the biggest myth or miss there is. But from the health, like the surgical rehabilitation of a C-section or from the actual medical rehabilitation of a vaginal birth, they really are doing their job, which is just to make sure that there's no complications or serious side effects. Um, but good, anyways, that's a good point. That's like your, you know, an orthopedist. Yeah. We would expect to make on most things, a referral for physical therapy, but you wouldn't necessarily want them to do your PT, like to tell you, like, these are the things you're going to do, which, uh, you know, I don't want to get into too far. Like I'm seeing a lot of apps that have been built by orthopedic clinics that are take home PT. I have cool. a big problem with that, but that's a totally different scenario. But like, then you see like, that is your orthopedist thinking that like, Oh, this is, we can easily just have you do this. And I mean, that's, you know, maybe where the fourth trimester stuff is kind of at, right? There are people that specialize in it, but for the most part, it's people like you helping people, but there's people are still kind of on their own to do it. There's not a whole lot of people. There are that are like, you can come to my clinic. This is what we do. I don't even know. I mean, I honestly don't know this at all. Does insurance cover that as a, like, if you just come in for postpartum care, is insurance going to cover that? I mean, it's gotta be in order and that's, it's got to be a referral typically. And it, it depends on the state laws for the right. PTs, right? And like it, you can go into any chiropractor at any point, depending again on access laws mm-hmm. in the state, but you come in for any complaint, like a headache. Why can't your complaint be pelvic function? You know, like it's, it's just as accessible as I guess any other like life event. Yeah. Like, you know? like a it's runner just- that wants to get better at running and maybe just, exactly. you know, yeah. A functional, a functional deficit that we build up. And that's, that's one of the things where, um, not to go totally off tangent, but one of the things that I like to remind people like at students, when I'm teaching them is like postpartum care, isn't anything different than the care of every other patient. It just so happens that the event that happened to them was they gave birth to a human, <laughs> And then it's a good point. Yeah. It's not a whole like, oh, here you are in your little happy bucket that's postpartum care. No. Don't put me in any buckets. My name is Marianne Demack, and this is my history. And this is what's recently happened in my life. And okay, doctor, what is it that I need? And it's the same with every other patient. You know, now we as practitioners have buckets in our brain Mm -hmm. because it's things to address, things to look out for, things to you know, note, you know, same thing for anyone who has ACL, you know, reconstruction, there's going to be things you always look for, but it always depends on that person, you know, like, so it's, it, I always caution students to be careful about putting their patients in buckets and then just letting them survive there. Cause it's not, you know, you're going to just, there's two birth stories that can lead to two entirely different treatment plans. Mm-hmm. 
That's a really, one, that's a really, really good point that probably would get missed by most people that may just listen to this. Right. So I'm glad you brought that up that, you know, you think, Oh, it's postpartum. There's probably like a protocol. Like you're saying is like you go into the office, you still need an exam to find out what's actually going on with you because rare, I'm sure you could have a woman come into the office four to six weeks out. They may not need a lot of care. Did pretty well. They did maybe some, you know, homework before they're just a pretty fit or whatever. Right. It just, it worked that way. Or you could have somebody that had a very easy birth, right. Air quotes there. And they need a lot of help because of thing that was going on before or whatever happened, you know, like, so it's a very, very good point that it's not just, you had a baby, we do these things. Yeah. You're thinking certain yeah. things, but it's like, what's actually going on. You know, what are our objective outcomes? What are your functional deficits? Like, what are we doing here? It's a really good point. And all of this comes down to finding a qualified clinician who gives a shit. <laughs> really? Like that's, that's what it is, is it's, you got to find somebody who will take care of you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that you and I and our partners and like the people that we run in circles with, this is what we do. And that's why we are successful. It's why we have practices that can be built in towns where we don't know anyone, you know, like it's because of the way we approach patient care. It's different um, than the, the status quo. And it's with a focus more on what is Mrs. Jones need today? And sometimes Mrs. Jones needs a tissue box and to sit with someone who's qualified and educated to listen and then give her not therapy. You know, we're not doing cognitive behavioral therapy. We're, we're being the resource that we were trained to be. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's all the patient needs and that like, you're just bringing it up which comes back to there's going to be times when a, a female has they're doing great. And maybe they, they need to get started on stuff before that six week point. And Mm -hmm. that's where getting the care is important, where it's like making sure you have the resources around you. And that that's one thing that moms need is resources around them. So if that's, yeah. something. You know, I was just going to say that, you know, we said, yeah, there's this kind of maybe bias towards women you know, having this specialization or having this, uh, patient population, what I would say is no different than somebody wants to come see me as a runner. What you just mentioned of somebody needing to kind of know that you understand is sometimes psychological, you know, empathy, but it's also like, I kind of want to explain this out. So like you may do the same thing with 10 patients because it's just eerily similar. You may be working on IAP and general, you know, loading patterns around the lumbopelvic region postpartum, but you may not have to explain everything the same to all 10 people. And you may need to explain to somebody that goes plays volleyball, like, why did that feel like that? Versus somebody may not know, they may not understand the sequelae that follows pregnancy. And then they, they're a great practitioner, but then they fall short on the understanding of the specialty around that. So I think that is maybe something that needs highlighted is, yeah, we all do good things. I don't think I'm like, quali- not I'm qualified to treat somebody postpartum. I'm not going to be the best because I don't understand those nuances. And I think that's what makes us really, really good is when you're like, and I kind of know all the ins and outs. If you want to ask me questions, I got those things. Like we said at the beginning of the conversation, mm-hmm. but if you don't and you run into that wall, that's where somebody's like, mm, I don't know. You know, like they can, it's not that they're seeing through you. You just, you're, 
there's holes in your game. And if you want to treat that population, like fill those holes, you know? And, and some of that can be gained just from clinical experience too. Yeah. You know, a lot of the things that I share about come from an interaction with a mom I used to treat, not a personal experience, or I'm going through a personal experience now that makes me relate to when I had seen it clinically beforehand, you know, and that if there is anything I've learned from, I was just talking with a a girlfriend about this this morning. If there's anything I've learned from treating pregnant women, it's that no person's story is the same. And that sounds so cliche and, and ridiculous, but like working with women and being able to listen and to kind of walk through that process with them and being that guide by the side who is there as a filter for information, not a source always, Mm -hmm. but a filter and an advocate, someone who they can always count on to say, you know what? I haven't looked at that. Let me do some research on it and get get back to you with my opinion versus be like, oh no, you must do this. And if you don't have a fill in the blank type birth and you're not doing it right, you know, like it's, it's being that advocate. And the more you do that with people, the more you learn from their experience and then can help future people with it. So it's, it's a, it's a thing that can be learned by going through it, but also by walking through it with others. Well, jumping back to the kind of myths or misconceptions, I just want to pick your brain on one in particular, because it's something that, again, that gets highlighted in social media. What would be your, and again, it's very hard to say, what's your general advice on this? Cause it's, you're going to say it depends, but when we see the extremes, which is what you're going to see in social media, right. Of a mom that runs, you know, 40 mile weeks into the, you know, eighth month or somebody who's doing CrossFit competitions into the seventh, eighth month, like what for, let's take lay people, the general pop, right. Um, what are good like guidelines or what's a good like marker of success of like, you know, like you said, a pregnant woman during or post is not a delicate flower, but at the same time, like there's gotta be a limit there. So like how to, how do women or couples or whatever determine like where, what they should be doing? Yeah. I think it, it, it depends on the timing also of where you're at in the pregnancy too. Um, but for the average person who's not the elite, who's not the elite athlete and, and elite athletes can have problems too, Mm -hmm. but the average person who's active wants, has an active lifestyle, wants to maintain that active lifestyle, but is a little concerned about what negative effects it could have on the baby. The, at the beginning of, of the pregnancy is, is actually where the more, um, cautionary period is, especially if, someone's been struggling with infertility and that, you know, like they're that first trimester is kind of touch and go depending on the mom Mm. and their story. So if, if this is a, um, I don't want to say easy, but if it's been kind of a natural process that hasn't had a lot of complications or high risk components to it, you know, there's no reason to limit activity in that first trimester, unless your body physically doesn't allow you to, AKA you're too sick to do it. That was my wife. Um, yeah. <laughs> this, it was a lot different for me, this go around. Um, I was sniffing peppermint. I had peppermint things in my, I was sniffing it while I was giving <laughs> lectures. And I was like, this is what people who are addicted to drugs are doing <laughs> on their zoom meetings. 
Um, sorry if that's insensitive, but it's kind of how I felt. The, you know, like there's there's kind of no reason to back off during that time frame. It's just kind of life as usual, as long as you're physically feeling well and not ill. Um, second trimester is when the physical changes really start kicking in, where you're noticing different biomechanics, the belly's growing. And really the only thing that should be limiting activity is the physical like space scenario, you know, like if the exercise causes you to torque or twist through the abdomen as the abdomen's getting bigger, then we want to back off on that type of activity and allow for the abdomen to expand and be kind of its own unit without us manipulating it through exercise. Um, and then the, the piece at the end of the pregnancy is again, it's just, what are you physically comfortable with? And, you know, like for example, running, it's a jarring activity and that as those pelvic ligaments get more lax, that can become more, it can create more tension through the pelvic floor. It can create some discomfort. And as long as a mom's feeling comfortable with the pace she's at and comfortable with the aftermath of the run that she's doing, there's no reason to stop it. Um, same with lifting, as long as like the bar's not hitting the belly on the way up for the snatch, you know, like there's, there's really no reason to work through it. Um, it's just not the time to start new activities. True. If you're, if you weren't a CrossFitter before pregnancy is not the time to start the CrossFit. Mm-hmm. It's, you can work on fundamental movement at a CrossFit gym with a qualified coach, but it doesn't, it's not the time to really kick up the game in any new avenue. That's a good point. Cause I mean, and I know you've heard this and probably a lot of people have heard it that aren't in the clinical setting of how many, you know, moms come in and even if it's like, you know, years ago, they're done having kids. This is eight years past their last kid. And they're like, I was never the same after this kid, or I was never the same after that kid. And they're like, I ran you know, right after I ran during and they're like, do you think that caused it? And I'm like, well, causation correlation are hard to tell, but like, you may not have been an awesome runner before mechanically. And then, you know, that's the hard thing to get people to realize mm-hmm. that you are a different person physiologically in a lot of ways when you're mm-hmm. pregnant and that is going to have ramifications. Just like if I had somebody go through a growth spurt, they're a different person yeah. for a time period. Right. Yep. So that's a, and that- The physiology is the big key. And that's where just being, I think honestly, the best way to like, even from a practitioner perspective, the best way for us to support moms through kind of defining those boundaries is helping them understand how to listen to their body Mm -hmm. and to be able to, you know, like if you're just going ham every day for an hour at the gym, you're never going to feel what your exercise did to you yesterday. So, you know, a frequency component might be a big thing to in, put in place where we're lifting three, three times a week instead of five. Um, and then mac- maximizing the time that you're choosing to spend on it. And the other, one of the greatest points you just made is the fact that you might not have been really functional before. So it pregnancy can do, it, it's a magical time regardless, but it can take us in either direction. Mm-hmm. It could make you a better physical being, or it could also make you a more dysfunctional physical being, depending on just, it's it's probably random. So just being aware that what you're doing could make you stronger and make you like, oh man, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling strong. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. 
but it has the same potential to do the opposite. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, like incontinence is coming up as an issue or things like that, where like your pelvic floor may have been dysfunctional because of how you've ran for the last 20 years. And now's kind of one of those times where we want a pretty functional pelvic floor. So, you know, that's a just, and moms aren't able to assess that stuff themselves, you know, that we're going to have to intervene at some level with a good, a good practitioner. Which may seem very different, but it's honestly no different than the person that comes in and is like, I did this deadlift and blew my back out. And you're like, mm, no, it's a thousand times you did something like that before. This was just too much. It's like, you know, like you said, a woman's pelvic floor function may not be awesome. And then like pregnancy just really highlights that. And then what you do during pregnancy may, can make it, you know, I don't think anybody's going to really improve their pelvic floor function a ton when they're pregnant. If it's hard, like you're going to kind of be working on it, may become more aware of what's going on. But I think it's pretty hard when you're changing pressurization and load capacity and everything. Mm -hmm. I think that's a tough note. So, um, can I add one of the myths yeah, here? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's it's coming up that every pregnant person has to have issues with their pelvic floor mm-hmm. or every pregnant person has to have sciatica or this is a normal part of pregnancy and we've normalized pain and we've normalized um, issues, but it's not that they don't happen so frequently because they really do happen frequently but it's become so normalized that the answer for the mom is deal with it. (laughs) And it's, Oh, Oh, it's a part of you becoming a mother. No, no, you don't have to have pain. You don't have to have debilitating sciatica that hangs out with you all day through your entire third trimester. It doesn't have to be that way. Now it, it might be just your story and that might be where you're Mm -hmm. at. And there might be nothing that we can do to help but it doesn't mean that there's not things you can do. And I think that we have this kind of like, oh, it's part of pregnancy, Mm -hmm. like, or almost this expectation that every mom is super uncomfortable. Like I'm walking around, I went to Ikea, did some damage today (laughs) and I'm lifting boxes up by myself Mm -hmm. and I'm 39 weeks pregnant. And it's not that I'm like some badass that has, you know, trained for this my whole life, but it just, it's a, part of my physical body allows for me to be comfortable through my entire pregnancy. And don't get me wrong. I have to stop sometimes to let the zing that goes down my leg pass. It happens. There's movement that, that happens to cause it, but it's the, the thing that I see, and it's not about me being awesome. It's the thing that I see is the reaction that people have to me. And that it stimulates thoughts to me that like, we've, we've just like, oh, are you sure you should be like, at what point is it ever like a standard where you should walk up to a pregnant person at Costco and be like, are you sure you should be carrying that without help? Like, you don't know me, (laughs) but. Well, it was really funny when Sloan was pregnant, my wife, uh, my mom, would just like, I would tell her something that Sloan had done or is going to do, or that like, maybe she thought I should have done. She's like, Oh, well, she can't do that. Why did you let her, why did you let her do that? Was a really common one. And I was like, Ooh, mm, you don't say that in front of Sloan. Like don't do it. But yeah, I I'm with you a hundred percent on that. And I think what I've seen again in personal practices, 
like second and third kid, then the woman expects it. I had sciatica during the first one. If it happens during the second one, oh, totally normal. That's just what happens when I'm pregnant, which you, you can understand why they think that, but it's like, wait a minute, it wasn't normal the first time. And if somebody like wrote it off, that's no different than somebody saying like, don't ever squat, you know, because that hurts your knees. Like there's a, it is a true misconception that's out there. That's a hard thing to blow up because it is so individual, right? That like, Hey, some women, it doesn't matter what treatment you do based on how you came into that pregnancy, you are going to have pain down your right. Like, like that's, I'm sorry. And then some people it's like, yeah, you got it. But if you did X, Y, Z, you could get rid of it. Right. And not only during Mm -hmm. pregnancy, but forever now. There's also complications. Some moms have high blood pressure. Some moms have bleeding Yeah, um, that's being caused by medium level activities. And they really do from a medical perspective need to lay off mm-hmm. and put their feet up. And it's, it's, that's what they physically and physiologically need to protect their health and the health of the baby. So it's never a, Oh, don't listen to your doctor. Who's telling you that you need to go on bed rest. But it's the, you know, don't let your Aunt Janice tell you how to manage your pregnancy based off of her experience and what she's, you know, like it's, it's just, we need to level that this is where the filter comes in. And that's where I love to serve is as a filter. Mm -hmm. I might not, I'm not the source of all this information. I have, I'm literally just a filter. Yeah. And that's a that's the best way you can put it because as soon as you try to, again, my opinion, as soon as you try to become a source, there's very few sources of information nowadays, like very, very few. And if you think it is, it's probably just a very slight tweak that seems new and it's like, Ooh, and then you like five years later, you're like, Oh, like this isn't, it wasn't. Yeah. So, well, let's, we're getting fairly long on time and I want to be, uh, uh, aware of that just in case like, you know, you're having bladder issues at 39 weeks or anything, (laughs) but I want to change directions a little bit. So part of this podcast is kind of tying in, you know, human health and environmental health and environmental health doesn't mean like conservation. It can mean like your house. It can mean your, you know, immediate environment, people you hang out with when it comes to, you know, uh, how old's Madeline now? She is two and a half, just under two and a half. Then you're going to have a newborn here pretty quick. Like what are some of your, or one, what's your biggest concern as far as like the world that they're coming into? You don't have to go too, like too deep. We can keep it in our realm of health and wellness, but like, what is one of the things you're going to, I don't know if I want to use the term battle because it's always better to like fight for something instead of against, but like, what do you like from an environmental perspective, whether it's, you know, what they're eating, how they're moving, like what they're watching, like what's your like biggest thing right now? Ooh. And I'm sure it's going to change and I'm sure it's yeah. changed with Madeline already in two and a half years, but. Totally. And it, and I, again, I was listening to your parenting discussion with Sloan and uh, like feeding and things like that. Like it, I, I feel like we had this, we've had very similar experiences. Um, to me, my biggest concern, there's, there's a couple big ones. Um, one of them is just availability of movement opportunities and creating that space. And that's something that I advocate for. And you guys had discussed about some of the prop props we use for babies and things like that. Like just 
honestly a floor and some things to pull up on. Mm-hmm. And that that's how we went with Madeline. And I think it worked out really well. And that's what we plan to do again with Chloe. Um, something that I personally experienced myself that I'm trying to, it's a, it's a battle internal, especially with girls. And I think it needs to be with boys too. So this is just my experience. But one of my biggest environmental things is I want to create a good relation or I want to create an environment where my daughters can have a good relationship with food mm-hmm. and body image and the connection of those two things. Um, I think that if you follow my mama knows movement, you'll see that I share a lot of like posts and things on my stories that really spark that. Cause I think it's a, it's a big thing where I think we need to change the way we approach looking at the food we eat. And that's something I hope it answers your question, but that's, that's one of my areas of concern that I'm not sure, to be honest, I'm not sure I'd have the same level of concern if I had boys um, versus girls. And I think I'm also super biased because I have struggled with eating and managing my own body image my whole life. That also probably comes from the intrinsic biases towards what a woman should look like or feel they should look like. And yeah, well, I think guys are never taught to, it's awesome to look like a slob. There's a different, uh, different precedent that's set at a pretty young age. Yeah. yeah. And I think the, the thing that made me realize this so much is the fact that, you know, bodies change during pregnancy, obviously, and it's a really good thing, <laughs> obviously, but it's, it, that has been a really big struggle point for me, um, as I physically experienced this. And the, but the difference, this pregnancy versus the first one is I have a two-year-old girl watching me go through it. And so how I verbalize, how I feel about my own body matters, not only to my own psyche and to my own experience, but it matters for her. And it's been, that's been kind of a struggle slash, like, how do we create body positivity, um, in a, in an environment where it seems impossible to, because of what we're surrounded with, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, you look beautiful. It's you are beautiful, Mm -hmm. you know, and things like that. And just trying to educate myself on the best way to communicate because it's not natural to me to like, I want to, I'm, I'm naturally wanting to empower, but I don't know the best way to do it. And that was part, that was part of my follow-up with strategy, which it's hard, right? Cause you can't, it's hard to dictate strategy around something that's like a huge challenge for a lot of people. And obviously a lot of people trying to tackle that too. So when it's like a non solved issue, right. And then you put it on upon yourself, you're like, well, I'm going to do it with my kids. It's like, "Mm, okay. (laughs) Um, you know, not good luck, like see you later, but it's like, man, that's a tall order, but it's also really hard nowadays because everything's so polarized, right. It's, you know, we, it swung, it swings both ways. And now it's not that it swings. It's like both ways are the present, the extremes of like, you can look however you want, right? Like, and then you feel good about that, which part of that's okay. But then we also have to educate somebody that part of the way you look may have an unhealthy mask over top of the underlying issues. And we're, we don't want to demonize that you're overweight or obese, yeah. but like the reasons you are what we're more worried about. 
And if you're not worried about, and you just say, I love my body and we get that you're, you know, you love that, but like, Hey, there's other things here, right? Like it may be cool to smoke in France. That doesn't make it any less unhealthy. Right. Exactly. Like that's and a, it, it's a different connotation behind the the thing there. And that's a cat smoking becomes kind of like the example, like it just, it's one of those things where, and I, I just read a person's response to a, an article about this the other day. And it's really hard as a, as a supporter of women and that I, I mean, I would put myself in that type of bucket that I am, I want to create a space where women feel comfortable and never judged. And I'm not an elitist on any, on any topic where, you know, if you're not, if you don't look a certain way or do a certain thing, then you're not good enough. Cause it's, we, we are good enough, but I'm also a healthcare provider mm-hmm. who, you know, knows, and we don't treat obesity and, and some of the sequela of those things, but we know it. Mm-hmm. And especially in our current environment with yeah. COVID, like we know that it affects how well your chances are looking if you do encounter, you know, a new disease or something like that. Like we, we see the potential for downside risk and it's a really hard space to be in right now to support while educating. Mm-hmm. And that's, but that's, I think that's a challenge it just fill in the blank for the challenge. It's always hard to do that where you find like, you got to get off the high horse and meet people where they are. And, but each person needs that to be communicated in a different way. And exercise is meeting the same dragon that needs to be slayed that you, it's not about physique. And really, if you looked at fitness versus health, they're probably, they're not two different things completely, but they can be very different sometimes, especially based on the individual and I think that's hitting ahead that people are having a hard time with that. I tell people all the time, like, and most people know this, and even some people admitted like, uh, oh, what, is, I can't even think of his name. What's the guy that's won the CrossFit games like the f- past four years in a row? I can't yeah. even think of his name offhand. Oh my God, everybody's going to hate me. Anyways, he said in an interview, he goes, I realize I'm not healthy. Like he's the fittest man in the world. Yet he's yeah. unhealthy. Like he knew that. And it's like, well, that's kind of where we're at. Like I tell people all the time, running ultra marathons is not healthy. But then like, you know, being like having a six pack and shredded isn't necessarily healthy either. Like there's stuff under that physique or under that activity. That's the same thing we're saying, you know, with a more specific, like, you know, lean of like women that are dealing with maybe body image issues or, you know, weight gain or obesity, like that's tough because we know there's issues there that need to be tackled. But at the same time, there's stuff that's, you know, for the past few decades been like, we've been beat down of like, this is what you're supposed to look like. This is what you're supposed to do. And yeah. Well, and how do you, you know, and you got to look at, especially, so it's kind of two things. One, of one thing I've been thinking about while you were chatting just now is like, we got to look at some of the most healthy populations in the world and look at their activity level. What do they do? Mm-hmm. They are just, they literally just spend time outside and they walk a lot and that can be health. And it doesn't have to have a barbell and it doesn't have to have a kettlebell and it doesn't have to be, you know, women need weight bearing activities, but that can come from, you know, raking leaves in your backyard with your kids, just as much as it can from going to your CrossFit gym. So it's, it actually, the answer is actually more inclusive than exclusive, which is great news. 
And that's where just getting moving is the answer. And it doesn't matter how you move. Well, it does, but it doesn't, (laughs) you know, if in an environment where we're not worried about injury and you're, you're, you know, within your own physical boundaries, you, you just need to keep moving. And that's, that's something that can be really freeing is it doesn't have to look like your friend down the street and how she finds her exercise. And it also, you know, it, and especially for me in these last maybe three, four weeks, my activity level has plummeted from a, like, I don't sit and do exercises anymore, but I have been scurrying around houses, (laughs) packing boxes and going for walks with my daughter. And that is enough. And honestly, it's physically part of the best I've felt through this whole pregnancy is right now in the three weeks after this has been my kind of thing. So it's, it's Mm -hmm. finding what that balance is for each person and just keeping them at something. And I think it's worth noting, you know, I hear a lot of scapegoats when you bring up things like that to people like, Hey, you need to be exercising. And they will say, well, I do yard work and I do X, Y, Z. And it's like, but you got to realize the rest of your environment is dictating that that's not enough. And that's, what's hard for people to understand. When we talk about like, I'm reading yeah. Dan Lieberman's new book exercised. And he literally talks about when he went to, he took a treadmill to this uh, Kenyan village that he's visited for years to do a study. And he had went, cause he wanted to study women walking with, uh, like baskets and water on their head and they get on the treadmill and they're like, no, like they wouldn't do it. Cause they're like, this isn't walking. And he was like, Oh my gosh, I didn't even th-. like, he spent all this money treadmill into the middle of, you know, the bush. And he's like, I'm an idiot. Like, what did I think I was going to get? Like we use these things, but like what we do for most of our days for most people is not normal. Yes. And then we think that I can get away with the things that seem like activity, which are right. Work around the house, you know, chores, all these things are activity, but then it's not enough for our current society. So that there's always, it depends, right? Like for you, you're a very healthy person in all, in most aspects of your life. So doing, you know, minimal stuff, especially at this stage in pregnancy is enough, right? For some people, it wouldn't be that they would, you know, be getting worse um, in some aspects of their life. So really, really good points on that stuff. And like Uh, just finding what feels right and what feels good. And it's not, this is care. We have to be careful with the feels good because it's like, well, ice cream feels good. And so do the little chocolate coconut things that I've been eating a lot of from Costco and and sitting on the couch, right? Um, Yeah. yeah, That feels great also, (laughs) but it's, it's exploring movement opportunities and being a, being a bit of a scientist with yourself, like determining what makes you feel good and what doesn't and doing more of what ends up making you feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And the hardest thing with hardest part of anything is you can't explain somebody into doing something. They have to experience it like bar none. That's been proven. Like you will not, I w- I won't say you will not, you will not tell somebody that, man, if you walk for an hour a day, you'll feel amazing in two weeks. There's no way they're just going to be like, oh, I'm going to start doing it. Like they'll go for a walk with family and be like, man, I felt a little bit better. And then like, they have to experience what that feels like. And then they adopt it but like trying to get people over that hump or whatever, that's the big, like the difficulty, which is why like, you know, getting friends that are involved with something or a peer group or accountability or whatever it is is so important because 
you have people with experience that then you trust like yourself as a filter of the information for your patients or, you know, um, people that you consult with. And, uh, obviously that's why I'm going to point people back to you when they ask questions about like part and postpartum, somebody like, I don't know, like I got this person, mama knows movement. And that's where you need to go talk to her about this stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's just like an ever evolving, ever evolving thing. And I think that's for, a, for a different podcast. And this is where maybe the two teams need to con, com, uh, combine our powers, but like Captain, Captain Planet. Yeah. Yeah. With our powers combined, <laughs> like that's kind of Cody's jam. And one of his big things is like, you know, the extrinsic or the explicit versus implicit learning from mm-hmm. motor, like, so you're talking about from like a psychological perspective of people not feeling it until they've done it, mm-hmm. but it's, that's also applicable in how we train and, and coach our patients is it cannot be verbally taught. Mm-hmm. Like it cannot be verbally taught. We can sit, we can give instructions, but movement, that's not how our brains and our bodies connect. Our bodies do it and make a pattern of that or make a memory of that. And then like, it has to be learned by doing. Which we could bring this, which we will, since we're running short on time, we can bring this full circle and say, you know, we started off kind of just talking about your passion project and how you got into it and that it was preceded right before you were ever pregnant or ever had kids, but it probably has been fueled big time. Right. I would assume. Oh, yeah. by being pregnant, you know, now twice having children, um, seeing, you know, some of the issues you experienced that you knew happened, but until you experienced them, a, it does give you different insight for sure. I, oh I joke all the time that I've had every injury you could have, and that makes me a better doctor. I really think it does mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. Now, do you have to get beat up to be an awesome physician? No, not at all. Please don't but do I, it. Yeah. Just, Hey, what if that was a course at chiropractic school <laughs> injury 101? You literally just like, oh, today you're going to get an ankle sprain. <laughs> well, it's probably just like parkour. Like you should probably just have a whole group of people go do hardcore parkour and then see what happens. Um, uh, when we're talking about experience, we could say for the women that are dealing with stuff, like, you know, determining if something's normal or abnormal. Right. And then if something can be done about it and how to go about it, really you need a filter. I guess that's the best way I could summarize the talk today would be that. Yeah. And that's, you just need to have your, your support system and that like finding a practitioner that you jive with. And that might not always be like, I've always told people, like, I want to make sure that we work for each other. Um, you know, it has to be a mutually beneficial relationship where people can grow. Mm-hmm. And like you were talking about Dr. Quinn, Dr. O'Quinn. Yeah. O'Quinn. I, I call him Dr. Quinn medicine woman, but it's O'Quinn. Oh. Yeah. That's, I actually want to go to that level with it. Dr. Quinn medicine <laughs> woman. Oh, that's a nice flashback. Yeah. Like, you know, that might, it's, it's out of the box, right. But he might be the perfect fit for a patient. And like my other half did great postpartum care with patients. Mm -hmm. And then when he would hit his, his limit or feeling as if he's not able to serve them as much, then it's the referral. And that's, it takes it. I think a lot of one of the things it takes comfort in being uncomfortable. Like you have to be Mm -hmm. confident in the, in unknowns and be ready for the ability to like, 
you know what, I think we should try this. And maybe it's not me who's the answer. Mm -hmm. Which yeah, takes some, takes some experience of its own, right. To get to that point. Yeah. Um, well, any last, uh, prudent wisdom you want to impart to the listeners today? Anything you got or, or a quote from a Disney movie or a song? (laughs) Oh, oh, you know what? A great. So, um, Here's, here's a, I'll, I'll kind of finish with this. It's kind of a little bit of a preview of what's to come. So in the last few weeks, we've learned, or I guess solidified our knowledge that uh, Chloe is breech. Oh, okay. Her head is in my liver essentially. And I can feel it consistently there. Um, and so even with someone who's you know, got the movement aspect there and I'm likely headed for a C-section next week, mm-hmm. um, which has been, so this is a preview. I'm not there yet completely mm-hmm. as far as like being able to verbalize like all of the different levels here. But one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten from a colleague, um, Dr. Kate Antonetti, who mm-hmm. is fo- followable. <laughs> I don't know why I said it. That's a word. That's a word. Well, let's do it. Um, She's a mandatory follow for moms. Her uh, handle is Mama Core Method. Um, She's just a phenomenal advocate. And I've learned a lot from her. Um, But she gave me a great quote. And she's like, well, regardless of how this turns out, the universe is telling you that you need to let go. (laughs) Um, so my theme for, so back to your question, my parting wisdom for my theme for 2021 is let it go, which (laughs) irony, the Corona like quarantine irony of this is not lost on me in any way, shape or form, because I have listened to that song one million times in 2020. And I can attest to that because we do monthly meetings and at least four or five times it's been on in the background, which is yeah. only once a month. So I know it's happening. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I think it's so bizarre and like, I'm just kind of like going with it because I just, something about that phrase has hit me as something I need to work on this year. I'm about to have two kids, you know, two and under, and it's life is coming at me. And it's one of those things where I'm not going to be able to control all aspects, which is something that I personally really love to do. So I'm going to be working on letting it go and just doing what I can and kind of just being a little bit more present, um, with things. And then of course there's the irony of the fact that I swear I didn't get the advice from Elsa. Like I really, it's not coming from that. And if there was, I would just get rid of the song. Well, I need you to take notes on your ability to do that and how you do just let it go. Because my kind of, I hate to say, you know, resolution, but it was kind of outsource everything um, this year Mm. as much as I could. So it's not quite the same, but, uh, but it's on the same theme though. And we're very much of the same personality type that, yeah, Yeah. we hang on pretty tight. So you let me know how you do. And, uh, Yeah, I'm not even close. And I, I know that my, what I'm probably, what I'm likely to about to experience is going to be something that's going to be eye-opening to me on a lot of different levels. And I'm, um, coming to terms with embracing that and realizing that there will be another side of this where I come out and it's, 
there's going to be lots of lessons learned that I can share with others too. So I've got two final wishes for you. First wish, the miracle of Webster takes over and that baby turns. Second wish is if you do have a C-section, everything goes smoothly and it's great and it's not that bad. So we'll leave it at that. Well, thanks so much for taking time with all of the craziness. Uh, I feel like I'm busy sometimes. And then you talk to other people like, oh man, I need to check myself here. So I appreciate it. And I will share uh, Mama Knows Movement, your Instagram handle, and any other way uh, people want to get a hold of you that you're comfortable with. I'll put that in the show notes along with some other stuff you mentioned, like Webster Technique and Mama Core Method and all that fun stuff. And mm-hmm. thank you enough for being on here and taking time. Yes, absolutely. And all just right. tell those mamas, keep moving. That's right. As always, we appreciate you listening. If you wouldn't mind, leave us a review wherever you're listening, iTunes, Spotify, wherever that might be. Also, uh, head over to chirofarm.com, episode 21 for all of the show notes. Uh, And you can also subscribe to the Farmer's Almanac on there. And that keeps you up to date on all future events, podcasts, blogs, all things that come out of the farm and out of my mind and mouth. So... Hope you guys enjoyed and we'll see you next time.